This is the Spur Leadership Podcast, episode number three. Joining us today on the Spur Leadership Podcast is Tim Scott. Tim, along with his bride, Agata, are the founders of Mitscoots, a phenomenal company here in Austin, Texas, that we're going to get into in just a minute. But Tim, first of all, thanks so much for being here and being a part of the Spur Leadership Podcast. Good to have you. Happy to be here. Always wonderful to see you. Give us a little bit of background. I'd love to just kind of get a snippet and just kind of a sliver of, of how you grew up, where you grew up, and kind of your life before Mitscoots, before we really dive into that story. Yeah. Um, Katy, Texas. Have you ever been to like Houston, West Houston area? I know it well. It's where okay. I grew up. Football. Like, Absolutely. The mighty high Katie Tigers. What high school did you go to? Katy. The like Katy, the one with uh, uh, Coach Joseph. Katy like, Tigers? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For yeah. sure. Um, uh, we were there 2000 uh, is when uh, we won that state championship. Then yep. I have this huge, uh, absurd ring that, that – uh, I don't wear it too much anymore. I didn't anymore. realize you played for Katie. Yeah. What yeah. position? Wide receiver. Okay. And played is a loose Speed. term. Speed. Speed and quickness. Nah, not a, That's why when you <laughs> say, like, played, I, I was there. Uh, I did my part. Yeah. They had a scout team, which was the group of guys that would run a lot of the plays for the other team. Um, I was real good at other teams' plays <laughs> and getting just hammered by our own de- defense. That were also very very good. Oh yeah, um, for sure. I play. I had a skilled role in making my team better. There you so, go. There it is. Sacrificial in a sense, I guess. So after high school, what happened? I uh, after high school, which um, everybody has a different high school experience. I guess absolutely. Um, I I didn't come from like a broken home or anything like that, but just had uh, separated parents and the step family kind of situation and. Uh, you can kind of get lost in the mix right. sometimes. Sure. Right? So come uh, senior year, I wasn't getting into trouble, but I wasn't doing school as well as I should have, right? And uh, and there at the end, I realized I was going to have to take summer school actually after I graduated. So there was like one class that I didn't do as well as I thought. And uh, and that's when I had this kind of realization that, that I'm going to just barely graduate. I need to do something drastic. Yeah. And so, uh, and so I was smart enough to know I was dumb, and uh, and I joined the military. Very good. Yeah. What yeah. branch? I went into the Air Force. Well, and I think there's a big difference between being dumb and not doing your best. I happen to know for a fact you are far from dumb. Yeah, you d- just may not have done your best. Dumb's a loose word, I guess. And I, I hate myself for not trying as much as I should have. Yeah. And I think part of that was I maybe didn't know what that finish line could look like. I didn't have parents that ever went to college. I'd never visited a college. Interesting. And, and so uh, I remember this really vivid moment in senior year where everyone wears the shirt of the college that you're going to go to. And so everybody's wearing a shirt. And I came in and I had no shirt. I didn't even know you were supposed to wear a shirt. And I took this magic marker on that day, and that's when I just wrote Air Force really big across really? my shirt with a magic marker because I thought, well, I'm certainly not going to get into a school at this point. Apparently, you guys all know where you're going. Yeah. Um, but this has always been something I wanted to do. And that's kind of the first time I actually was like, 
no, I'm, I am going to do that. So how did you decide Air Force out of all, all the other branches of military? Why did you choose Air Force? Uh, Air Force was one of those ones that I thought, one, I love planes. Okay. I always loved planes. Like when you're playing with stuff as a kid and somebody gave you a tank or somebody gave you an airplane, you'd probably pick the airplane. You're like, oh, I'm going to go fly this around. When in was, doubt. Yeah, it would be fun. I, I probably watched Top Gun a couple too many times <laughs> and thought that was realistic. Like, oh, I'm going to be just like Tom Cruise. I'll go fly. Um, only a couple of guys end up getting to do that, though. Um, but I, I picked the Air Force because I did see that there was a great education mechanism behind it. Um, a lot of guys in the Marines, Army, Navy, they, they learn stuff for sure, and they come out. But they're a lot more you know, brute force, certain skill set that I thought, well, I like working on stuff and tinkering on, on things. I could, I could work on planes, fix planes, and then maybe if I ever get out of the military, I can keep doing that. I could go work for like an airline somewhere, and that'd be a, that'd yeah. be a cool life. Right. Just fix the biggest, coolest, fastest things that exist on the planet. Why not? So how long did you serve? I did four years, give or take about a month. Four, just shy of four years, and then right. you actually had you actually had an accident that happened that kind of precipitated your getting out of the Air Force, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I went, when I was uh, working, uh, there was uh, an incident uh, mechanically where where somebody uh, was not. Uh, that's even a bad thing. You never want to throw anybody under the bus, right? And you always work as a team. And everybody tries to aim towards that goal all the time. And everybody was doing that, but accidents happen. That's literally what they are, they're accidents. And, uh, and I got caught in one of those situations, and, and it ended up hurting my hand um, pretty bad to the point where we Inside had— Inside like the turbine of a jet, right? Right. I try. We were. What was? What were the? Just give us the nutshell circumstances. Uh, there are, you know, these circuit breakers that you work on in the front of the airplane. Okay. And when they're in, uh, electricity is going through the circuit. Well, just like when you park your car, um, you kind of have a little bit of kinetic energy that's still in the car, right? Your brake. You've got your foot on the brake. And if you take your foot off the brake, the car kind of rolls back a little because yeah. you might be on an incline. And it hits park, and then you're done. Well, airplanes the same way. So if you've got two uh, turbines going, um, when the props come to a rest and the plane parks in what is the giant plane parking lot on base, um, you've got uh, the turboprops still kind of locked in place because there's still power to all of those things. So they kind of hold it real tight. Well, as soon as you turn the power off, um, they still kind of stay there because there's a, a kinetic charge in the airplane that right. maintains. But once you pull the circuit breaker, you break the circuit, and now there's nothing holding it anymore. And so gravity is going to let it go to rest. Yep. And that's essentially what had happened is that somebody didn't realize that I was in it, and they pulled that breaker from the front of the airplane. It's wow. huge. You know, you're hundreds of feet away from somebody. Um, and they didn't know, and it was just one extra turn. Just one little. So yeah. the turbine just turned a little bit, and your hand was caught in yeah. there. Yeah, it just turned a little bit, and I wow. was in the wrong spot, and that's essentially uh, where I got pinched. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't take a lot of movement to do a lot For of something that big. If something right. that big pinches you, it's going to create some damage. Yeah, pretty much. And then I worked on it, you know, got better, but we had to make uh, that hard decision. Do you want to do something different for the next, you know, 16 some odd years? Uh, or uh, do you want to work a desk pretty much? Yep. Um, 
I, when I got in, I always wanted to just do stuff. Yeah. Like really do stuff. And it really hurts to watch other people doing it. And you help. I, there's nothing wrong with helping other people do the tasks that they need to do. Um, but being so young and real bullheaded, like I wanted to do it. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah. And uh, yeah. Uh, so so that's when college uh, started looking like a really good option. Okay. So the injury happens just shy of four years in, and then what? And then, uh, then I guess I had to make a, a really, really hard decision as far as like, do I stay or do I go? And that didn't feel really good at the time. Uh, I remember toiling over it pretty heavily too, because we were right in the middle of the war on terrorism. I had guys that were getting deployed routinely. Uh, what year was that? Uh, 2004. Okay. Would have been right when I was having to make this decision. Yeah. And so there's a lot of guys that I was working with that they were going out on their like second, third rotation that they were going to go to, you know, somewhere not all that exciting uh, to work for quite some time. And you'd build such camaraderie working with these guys mm-hmm. and you really like them and you'd think like, I should be going. Yeah. I really, really should be going. One, I wouldn't be able to go. Um, not in the condition that I was right then. But two, um, would that be the best choice long term? Right. And uh and that was a that was an epic struggle. I still still deal with that actually, where I think should I have served more? Should I have pushed through? Should I have mm-hmm. really, really, really given uh enough to burn out, really? Interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of guys that have that feeling when it, when you get out short of your 20 years. Well, I think especially with what you said, that camaraderie runs so deep. Oh, yeah. That you – there's a – I know I've talked to other guys who have served, and even though they've left for really, really valid reasons, right? it still pulls at them. Yeah. Because of those guys that you feel, rightly or wrongly, you feel like you're letting them down. Right. Yeah, well, it's the com- – it's – it's not just the camaraderie. It's it's this um, commitment to the guy next to you. I know they kind of like lean on that heavily in a lot of movies. You fight for the man next to you and kind of thing. It is really true, but it's even simpler than that is, or, or less exciting, is that even the most boring times, and there's a lot of boring stuff. Yeah. Like it's 10% excitement and then like 90% waiting to wait longer. Um that guy being next to you is a support structure in a way yep. for in the ups and the downs. And when you don't know what next looks like and you have the option to have that support structure or not have it, yeah. one, you really want it because you know they need it too, though. And so by just throwing off on your own, um, you both get a, l- you get a little insecure about where you're headed. And two, you feel like you might be making somebody else insecure. Interesting. By walking yeah. away from them. Yeah. So it's not all guilt based. Really you want to commit to to what you're doing, but but it's a it's a complicated feeling of uh having to leave the military at all. But you know what, I think I think, Tim, that is really, really embedded in us just as people. Yeah. The military probably capitalizes on it and has studied it and developed it more intentionally than just about anybody else on the planet. Right. But it's there for all of us, no matter what you do. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, Spur Leadership and this podcast helps to bring out is the fact that we all need that. Um, we all need that support system mm-hmm. relationally. 
And it's going to take on different forms, whether you're in the military or in a business or in a church or in a marriage. But we all need that at a certain, just at a certain soul level. And so I I appreciate you sharing that. I I didn't understand. I never knew that really about your story about having that, um, that uncertainty. You know, I knew about the injury that you had been through, but I didn't know about that uncertainty that you even still kind of have to deal with every now and then looking back on it these many, this many years later. I don't think of like nobody joins to then quit. Yeah. Right. It's supposed to be a, a sacrificial yeah. kind of employment opportunity for a lot of people. Where, um, it's genuine service. Yeah. You know, going into it, like I'm doing a thing. I'm probably not going to get paid well. There's a lot of risk involved, but I know that it's right and I want to do yeah. it. And so you commit to it. It's not something anyone I've ever known went into with the idea of like, I'll get four years of this and then oh, I'm out. Even the guys that did only do four, even like myself that had to have a conflict, do I, I, I had intended to do all 20. Yeah. I wanted to go. You went in thinking you were going to be oh, there yeah. for the long haul. Oh, yeah. I thought I'd go in. I would do uh, four years enlisted. I'd get college credit. In the meantime, I'd swap over, become an officer, try to do something in operations. Uh, end up being some, you know, high-level person that had meaning in a lot of decisions that came along, and and I wanted that. I, I knew that that was going to be a long road, and a lot of the guys that came up with me had, I thought, a lot of the same intent. Yeah. Some of them got more realistic as it came along. They were like, you know what, I think maybe this isn't the right fit for me, but all of them still went into it wanting to be there and wanting to keep doing it as long as they yeah. could, it felt like. Yeah, yeah. So. So you make the final decision, I'm leaving the Air Force, then what? Uh, one of the things that was really, it was, it was um, a blessing uh, and a struggle at the same time being in the military is that you get to see all walks of life. Right. Right. And so instead of learning a lot of like, I love this, a lot of what I got to learn is, that's not so great, right? <laughs> Which is always a really good lesson, too. Not sure. necessarily what you love to do, but maybe what you don't like to do. And uh, I got to see enough of what maybe I didn't want to continue doing for the rest of my life. That What's the opposite of that? Okay. And the opposite of that was uh, a great education. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to college, uh, specifically the University of Texas. Mm-hmm. The place where when I didn't you know make the grades I thought I could in high school and there were other guys in my class that had that Longhorn shirt on I was so jealous of that shirt I thought that's the coolest thing that they're going to be able to get to go to UT yeah you know I guess that's just not in my in my deck of cards but then now four years later I've worked a bit I've done a lot of uh, college on the on my side time I remember when we'd be doing uh, uh, missions and flights or I'd be bringing school books and I'd read them as the plane was like going across. Yeah, and then we would do these Scantron tests and I'd have to mail them like hundreds, if not thousands of miles back to our base so that they could be graded by this nice lady who worked in our education office. And then like a month later, she'd send me notice and say, you passed the class. And then- So how much school did you get done while you were in the Air Force? An associate's degree. Wow. Yeah. So basically, is that two years? Yeah, yeah. I got a two-year degree in uh, applied sciences. Fascinating. So then you attend the University of Texas. Right. I had enough grades while I had been in the military kind of trying to work on stuff uh, 
that now uh, UT was an actual option. And so when I applied, they, they said, oh, yeah, you're great. Uh, I, think, I think I went from having like a, a 2.7 GPA in high school to a, a, a 3.89 or something like that going into UT. That's fascinating. Yeah. I think also, too, I know the military gives you such an opportunity. You're, you're graded and uh-huh. evaluated in ways that you really can't be in high school. And so there's a, there's a certain, I think there's a certain maturity level right. that gets rewarded in the military that, that you can't have in high school. And so you get that extra four years of experience and life and you see what an education can do for you that you can't really appreciate when you're 15. Oh, yeah. And then you buckle down and it's like, okay, let's go. Yeah. It's the single greatest unplanned, truly thought out thing I've ever done. That's awesome. Like I, I, I knew I was going to marry my wife. I knew I was going to start my company why I was going to do it. I didn't totally know what was going to happen when I joined the Air Force. Right. Because it was so gray and different in the future, but I am so glad I did. Interesting. Like, I wouldn't take any. That's awesome. I That's really, really fascinating. wouldn't take any of it back. It, it, so, what did you study at UT? What did you get your degree in? I I got uh, two undergraduate degrees, one in uh, public relations and another in sociology, uh, and then I got a master's degree in advertising. Isn't that fascinating? So, two degrees and a master's right. from a guy who just wrote Air Force on his shirt when he was getting ready to graduate high school. Mm. I love that. And I couldn't have done any of them had I not joined the military. Right. Not, not only in just like learning what you don't know and why learning matters at yep. all, but having the uh, support structure to be able to do it, have the uh, kick in the butt that I needed to know how to work. Yeah, yeah. I, I was shocked how little I knew how to actually get things done. <laughs> You're like you hey, need I'm to do that. I'm with you. That's the laugh of recognition, right? It takes a long, not a long time, but some it of takes, us longer than others. It, it takes a serious effort to be like, no, this is how you do things, and it's efficient if you do it like this, or you can just float. Procrastination was yeah. my biggest heel. See, mine was when I got out of college. Uh. I had a boss who held my feet to the fire and said, "Look, I love you, but I'll fire you." Yeah, and that was a real wake up call for me. Right. So you graduate with two degrees and a master's. What'd you do right out of school? Uh, I I went into advertising. Okay. That's what I thought. Uh, what I was gonna do. I I um, uh, I thought I, I had a pretty good skill to talk to people or communicate. Uh, I liked the idea of making things exciting, having like a story to them. You mm-hmm. know, like why is toothpaste matter? You know, why why did you laugh <laughs> at something uh, when you watch the Super Bowl? Yeah. Like when a commercial came on and everybody really loved the game, but then you end up talking more about the commercials the next day sometimes. And like, why did that have such. Do you such think that's just kind of in you that you appreciate story and you're drawn to that? I think, honestly, in a more like raw sense, I think I appreciate story because I really uh, uh, emotionally would watch movies when I was in high school of like. Um, really great family dynamics or like male role models. And I didn't necessarily feel like I always had one when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. So like when you watch Saving Private Ryan right. or, uh, you know, just epic films where you're like, oh man, Tom Hanks. He's uh, right. So like really appreciating that kind of story uh, got me to understand stories. So then when I wanted to have a professional career, I thought 
what if I can tell a story and, and be able to bring a little bit of joy or perspective into somebody else's life? Well, I can't make movies. I don't even know where to start with that. But, you know, maybe I could make little tiny movies about yeah. something interesting that you might buy every day. So, so I love, because you and I have known each other a while, and I love uh-huh. the story of Mitscoots. Tell us just in a nutshell, what is Mitscoots? Um. Yeah, it's a weird name. Um, Mitscoots Outfitters, uh, we're a, a clothing apparel company, uh, and we help the homeless. Uh, so um, our mission is to outfit and employ the transitioning homeless every time we sell an item uh, online or in any of the stores that we work with. I think there's like a, a hundred plus across the country now. Um, we sell things like beanies, scarves, gloves, uh, hats, uh, shirts and socks and things like that. And uh, when we sell one, we give an equal quality one away to someone in need. And then we hire the transitioning homeless to actually package everything up. And they're our primary workforce that sends everything out all over the country. So where did this idea come from? In the same way that when I learned being in the military, the things that I kind of like and definitely the things that I don't like. And then what's the opposite of that? Go to that. Um, this was born from being in, uh, you know, the marketing, advertising world, seeing things that I didn't like and then think, what's the opposite of that? Mm -hmm. What else could I do? It's, um, I always feel like whenever everybody gets asked or when I even used to ask it when I was at UT, like, hey, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with everything? That's such like a wide net. Sure. Um, And the best uh, tool against that is just experience. Just go do stuff. Just go do stuff and you'll figure it out. Not really fast, but you'll at least identify things you don't want to do. So as I was working on things... Hey, wait a minute. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you because I think that's a fascinating point that you just made. Huh. I think finding your calling, right? which is what you were basically just describing, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. A lot of times I think we, we would help high school students, college students, if we, if we would tell them and let them say... Hey, this is about this is more about a process of elimination than it is finding the direction. Oh, it's yeah. a lot like dating. Oh yeah. Dating is a lot more process of elimination than it is finding the one. Yeah. And if high school kids, middle school even, high school and college kids would just go work, mm-hmm. do anything for six dollars, seven dollars, or if Bernie Sanders gets the minimum wage wage raised to fifteen dollars an hour, whatever, go do work. Yeah. And you'll figure it out mostly by what you don't want to do. Yeah. And that's valuable in and of itself. Yeah. All the best things I ever learned came from the crap I never wish I had had to do. <laughs> and that, that tweet that 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 was so much more valuable. Like if I went and volunteered somewhere, I was like, I really loved that. I don't know how to turn that into a career. But if I go and I do a job like I was the Chick-fil-A cow for a while. I don't ever want to do that again. Yeah. And you instantly know. Not the that thing, there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, the things that you, the things that you, uh, well, it was because the cow suit smelled terrible. I can only oh, imagine. So, Houston, yeah. in the middle of the summer, and I'm no. standing on a median with this cow suit on that says, eat more chicken, and every once in a while, it's like good a- good motivation to study harder. Right? Like yeah. a truck will drive by and throw like a can at me out the window, <laughs> and I can't even see it, and I'm trying to turn around <laughs> with this big goofy head. Uh, but any anyway- um, no, just just the things that that you do that are bad are so much more identifiable mm-hmm. than a lot of the things that you love. Right. Uh, sometimes you can love a thing really hard, but then on second thought or perspective, you're like, 
I don't know if I really love that or if I was just infatuated with that yeah. or was that like a temporary interest? Like what speaks, what, what's joy versus happiness? Yep. But not like that's really quick, right? Right. Um, at least when it comes to. There usually aren't a lot of shortcuts to that answer. Right, right. So, um, but yeah, moving into, into the company was a result of seeing things that were happening in like the general, you know, consumer world that I thought uh, could be done better differently. Okay. Um, like say, hypothetically, you'd work on a, on a campaign like toothpaste. We mentioned that earlier, right? It hasn't really changed. Toothpaste has been probably the same since like the 80s, maybe right. slightly different. It'll make you whiter, 10x brighter, 5x. How many like X's or blades do you need on your razor or whatever? Um, but the goal was always to make it interesting. Okay. Find a reason that this product or thing resonates with people and have it gain meaning by creating a storyline around it. Yep. Make it funny, make it heartfelt, make it this cool digital campaign where you can move stuff on the website. Now everybody will love it and then they'll buy it. But it was still the same thing and it didn't have any actual inherent value uh, beyond just the superficial aspects of the product itself. And, and I was volunteering a ton at the time too, uh, going out to help the homeless. And I saw these really divergent life uh, uh, directions that I had. One was joyous and, and uh, a serving mission-based uh, angle that, that I loved and my wife and I got to do together. Um, it brought us closer together. It spread joy. It was godly. It was everything that I wanted in my life, but you get no really money for it. And you're not supposed to. And that wasn't the goal. But then you'd be working your butt off on the week on things that you didn't really feel for and you thought maybe it's not what you should be doing and you could be really good at it but if it doesn't speak to your heart i guess i don't know if it's if it's perfect and, and i thought what if i could just but put you were getting paid but you have to eat yeah and and there's so a there's that that's so interesting how you had to pull you weren't feeling the passion right. or the purpose i guess in what was paying the bills and buying the food right but the thing that you love to do and were excited about and passionate about and the serving right wasn't paying the bills right so taking the best of both of those things you combine them to create your own path right which is what became mit scoots and there's nothing bad to be said about either you right. know like right. i had lots of family that you know did the mill work kind of thing and that's very honorable work yes because it's providing and there's honor and in work for the sake of work there's nothing yeah. wrong with that in and oh, of yeah. itself yeah. right and, and, and there was a lot of dignity and greatness to just pure volunteerism and and going yep. out and selflessly helping others but for me i thought how can i pull these two things together yep and, and how can i not volunteer on the weekends and work my butt off during the weekday what if that was just my whole life and you could line those things up so you didn't have this home life work life volunteer life married life what does that look like in this beautiful one lane path that's all going to the same direction yep and that was taking what i thought were you know uh, you know skill sets that that i'd been able to develop and putting them towards uh, making things that people buy have have actual purpose and meaning uh, and that came about from going out and volunteering on the streets and finding that there were individuals in need that desperately needed stuff and had no access to that stuff 
and then using business to be able to helpfully solve that one problem while greatly impacting other aspects of it as well. So Mitscoots is born, so it's a for-profit yeah. business. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a nonprofit. No. It's not a charity per se, but it's like, it's like you've heard so many times, you know, we're doing good business, doing good. Yeah. I, when people ask, and I actually look forward to that one because that's, that's one where you're like, are you nonprofit or are you for? There was this idea that, like, to do good, you can only never make any m- money for it. And right. I'm not saying that our goal is to be really good. I actually really deathly struggled with it with my wife when we founded the company. And it was uh, a lot of the ways that, that nonprofits become funded is that it's typically from grants and donations. And every year you have to struggle really hard to tell your story, to get people to say, I believe in you, here's the thing, go and do it. Well, what we found after doing research is the size of that pie doesn't really change all that much. A particular city might have certain amount of donated dollars or grant dollars that's given to it. And it kind of changes and fluctuates depending on population and such, but it's relatively stable. Interesting. And that pie is already split up for a bunch of different groups. There's only so many really big wigs in town that want to give a certain amount. So if you make a new, great, awesome group, you kind of only end up splitting the pie into one more slice. And we didn't want to hurt the same groups that were helping people in need already. Right. We wanted to make the pie bigger. And so we thought, who has a huge pie and they're not doing anything? And that was like Nike and Adidas and, and a little bit of North Face. And guys like that had a huge pie. And then they just kept it and went on just making more stuff for the sake of more, more stuff. And we thought, that's an interesting mechanism. What if we use that and apply it to a mission-based company? Uh, and thereby, we can then help those other groups. And so, like, when we donate things, we donate them to all of those different uh, NGOs and nonprofits uh, all over the country now. And it frees up funding for them to be able to actually do the mission work that they want to do. So instead of, say, mobile loaves and fishes or groups like that having to take any amount of their dollars and spend them on hats and beanies and scarves and socks to give to individuals in need, now they have that extra bit that they can, oh, maybe we can put another guy through counseling. Maybe we can yeah. uh, help deal with some housing or, or some other issues that, that we can't deal. Right. We can do stuff. I got tons of stuff. But um, we don't have enough feet to the street to be able to help in the way that they can. And I wouldn't want to. Why? We don't need right, to re- why reinvent the wheel. They're already doing it and doing a great job at it. Right, but I can give some serious gas to that tank and, and help move those wheels a lot faster. And what was the, what was the item that's, that, that was the foundation of Mitscoots? Socks. It was socks. Yeah. yeah which why is, socks? Uh, it's primary need on the street you know a lot of guys i mean think how nasty your socks can be at the end of the day sure not you particularly (laughs) no hypothetically anybody (laughs) it's me too it's it's just one of those things that like you don't think about it until you don't have anymore and then you're like i need to do laundry like now so you and agata are volunteering through mobile loaves and fishes that's right which is you know taking out catering trucks and and Mm -hmm. providing food and clothing yeah. Every single day throughout Austin, right. y'all weren't going necessarily every day, but you right. through your volunteering, you see the the primary need beyond food mm-hmm. was socks. At least for the in, chronically homeless, in like the immediate sense. Yeah, like obviously, I mean. like home and work and, and, and those things, primary needs. But if you're if you're having this initial 
dialogue but that's an with immediate somebody. need. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, if I've never met someone, I walk up and I say, "I want to help you." There's chronic and there's acute. Yeah. This ha- is acute. Well, they they're realistic in their yeah food and water, and then oh man, I could use a pair of socks, and that always like shocked us. And immediately, oh, yeah, let me run to the other side of the truck. Let me find some, and you might have some new ones, but they'd go pretty fast. And then there'd be like like hand me down ones. Yeah. Yeah. Which I never thought people would donate their socks. I think I did back years ago. Right. I think I probably was like, well, this will be great for somebody. In reality, they last like 10 minutes yeah. on the street. Those the, Nobody covers more distance yep. than, than homeless and transitioning homeless. They, they move a lot, uh, whether it's from different areas that offer uh, city support, um, different mission support, uh, places where they're going to be able to be safe for the night. Things like that. That that you got to traverse. They're you not bet. driving. They're they're walking. Yeah. And they cover a lot of ground, so they they would beat the heck out of uh, those socks really fast. Uh, we wanted to take care of it because it was kind of a, I thought, um, a, obviously a grave issue for them, but for the rest of us seemed superficial. And so we thought, well, I bet we could just call a company. Or it was like Tom Shoes at the time and other one for ones, and we were like, we could call them see if they have stuff they'll give it to us we'll give it to them problem solved right yeah but it didn't exist and so um, we put it in the back of our heads and we're like yeah we should do that that'd be really cool but we kind of got busy and arguably selfish we got selfish doing what we thought we should be doing okay versus what we knew we were called to do interesting and uh and that that just kept itching at the back of our head because it didn't go away because yeah. it wasn't meant to yeah um until we finally uh, put our insecurities aside and jumped all in.